today, as we've said, is our Vision Sunday. And uh, it's when we talk a little bit more as a church about what we sense God is up to and what we sense God is calling us to do. And so I'm going to read a passage which has become uh, really important to us over the last year. Uh, Our sense is that this is kind of a key touchstone passage for us as a church in this season. And it kind of gives us a framework for understanding what's happening and it gives us a bit of a guide to pray into. So we're going to be in Acts 11 um, from verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only amongst Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. I want to speak today about God's purpose for you. Uh, What we sense God is calling us into at this key moment in our culture and in our church. And this passage gives us a framework for understanding what's happening, helps us to pray into it, and gives us a sense of how we each might respond to what God is up to in our midst. And the first thing we see in this passage is that God can turn anything for his purposes. Says those who had been scattered by the persecution or by the tribulation that broke out when Stephen was killed, went to Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch. Some from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, uh, the kind of non-religious, the kind of non-Jews, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Up until this point, people hadn't really realised that the good news about Jesus was for literally everyone. Peter has a vision, Uh, people are persuaded, the apostles are persuaded, there's hints of what might be happening, they're seeing breakthroughs in different contexts, they decide in Jerusalem, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. But this is the very first time that people set out with the intention of reaching every single kind of people within a city, every ethnicity, every nationality, every background. And what's fascinating is it happens because of persecution. Because people were trying to stop the purposes of God, because people were trying to eliminate the church, because people were trying to target those who believed in the name of Jesus, there is not a withdrawal of the church, but a multiplication of those who trust Jesus. And you have Stephen, who's one of the key leaders in the early church. He's executed by a mob overseen by Paul And his death uh, leads to a great persecution. It's worth saying at this point that I'm called Stephen. And um, there are 1,443 names in the Bible. And my parents sat there when I was born and said, let's name him after someone who's assassinated at a young age. And um, I'm very grateful for that. Thanks, Mum and Dad. I love you. 
And then they had my little brother, and they said, what should we call him? And they said, let's name him after the guy who killed Stephen. And so they called him Paul. And uh, that tells you a lot about our relationship right there. Uh, I don't say that names are determinative, but, um, but there are many times when we were growing up, I thought I might repay the favor. And, uh, but we're great friends now. And so uh, just as this happens, uh, the most extraordinary things happen. This wave of persecution leads to a wave of salvation. And you see God positioning people for his purposes. The very thing which was intended to harm and hinder the church is the very thing that God uses to help the good news spread. And I think so often in life, it's the battles we never wanted to fight and wish hadn't come our way that contain within them the blessings we desire. And I sensed as I prepared this talk that you might have faced opposition in your life. Maybe your business has faced opposition. Just to say to you, it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. Uh, Maybe you're facing challenges in your workplace. It doesn't mean that God is not with you. You might be facing challenges in your family or even in your marriage. It doesn't mean that the Lord is not with you. The disciples faced real persecution and real opposition. And yet we see here in this passage, it says that the Lord's hand was with them. They faced real opposition, real challenges, and yet the Lord's hand is with them. And the reason I find that hugely encouraging is that it tells me, and this is something which I think is evident throughout Scripture, that God is great at judo. And uh, bear with me. Um, You know, God specializes in taking the energy of an attack on his people and his plans and redirecting it to serve his purposes. Now, some of you are like, what does that mean? So we just got a little clip. If you've never watched a judo counter, this is what I'm talking about. So just imagine God is, uh, we're going to play this. So imagine God's the guy in white, and then boom. And then, so so you, uh, just, if you play it once more, Nisha, that'd be so kind. And um, poor guy, he's completely annihilated. And um, so he, the, in judo, you use the force of the attack, and you redirect the energy of it, against the opponent, and the opponent's wiped out. That's basically what happens. And what we see in Scripture is that God is great at Judah. He specializes in taking every bit of the energy and the force which is targeted at his people, the energy and force which might be targeted at you, and turns it to serve his purposes. See this in Genesis, Genesis 50, 20. They intended it for harm, but God used it for good and for the saving of many lives. And you see it here. The disciples thought they'd been scattered But in God's providence, they had been planted. You know, you might feel that you're facing persecution, but that God can use it to prepare you. You might feel you're in a battle, but God can use it to bless you. You might feel you've been singled out, and yet God can use it to strengthen you. You might feel you're facing adversity, and yet God can use that as the very means of anointing you. You know, God is great at judo. And what we see in this passage is that as the church is persecuted, as people throw everything they can at it, to try and eliminate it and extinguish it from the face of the earth, it becomes the very means by which God releases even more blessing. And what I love is it involves ordinary people, people who want to play a part in God's purposes. Luke, who writes Acts, doesn't even know their names. But they came to tell people about Jesus. And then just by telling people the good news about Jesus, the city started to be transformed. I love that. Just going around, 
People, people who, whose names we don't even know, telling people about Jesus. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Going around the city, telling people about Jesus is and who, what he's done. And people believed and turned to the Lord. And we've seen so many people come to faith in Jesus over the last 18 months, often in sudden, surprising, uh, miraculous ways. People who are invited to encounter Jesus, and then they've believed and they've turned to the Lord. And it's people from every sort of background. It's prison leavers and people in recovery from addiction. It's people with really challenging lives. It's people who run businesses. It's young adults. It's single mums. It's more mature people. It's the very young. It's teenagers. It's students. It's postgraduates. It's researchers. It's writers. It's nurses. It's midwives. People who were raised as a Christian then lost their faith and have come back to churches. People who have never stepped foot in a church before in their lives. And I find it so exciting, so moving to hear what God is doing as you invite people to explore faith, as you share the good news of Jesus. I was walking down the road last, uh, on Wednesday and I bumped into someone, one of you, and you said to me, oh, so exciting. And I said, what do you mean? And you said, oh, my friend has come to faith just two weeks ago. So exciting, it happened in a week. I find that so exciting. And um, just to give you one example, uh, I was uh, sitting here at the end of a service uh, just a few months ago, and this young woman came up to me and she said, "Um, I just want to thank you and I want to thank the church. And I said, oh, what for? And I thought, I I, I didn't recognize, I'm normally very good with faces. And I said, have you been coming for a long time? She says, I've only been coming for five months. I said, oh, what happened? And she said, oh, well, I, um, I, I, I came on Easter Sunday. It was my first time in church. And I decided I'd explore faith. So I came on Easter Sunday. And I said, what happened? She said, oh, I became a Christian. I said, that's amazing. She said, yeah. And then over the last five months, I feel like I've been discipled through the teaching. People have come alongside me. They've prayed for me. They've supported me. They've encouraged me. They've mentored me. And I said, wow, what are you going to do next? And she said, well, actually, this is my last Sunday. I was like, oh. (laughs) And she said, yeah, I've got to go and take up a job working for the president of my country. I was like, oh. And she said, I don't know what you think, but I feel like it might be strategic that I encountered Jesus just before I go to take up a job in the office of the president of my country. I said, it might be strategic. And she said, because she said, now I can find a church in that city, and then I can be a positive influence in that place as someone who knows Jesus. I said, I think you're right. One person in five months went from not knowing the name of Jesus and not having encountered him to encountering him, being discipled, having a new vision for her life, being encouraged, and then being deployed by the Holy Spirit to maybe shape the trajectory of a nation. Just one example of the many, many people we've seen place their trust in Jesus. But then since the start of this year, we've seen what I can only describe, what we feel it was like to us, a wave of people coming to faith in Jesus. So, at least 74 people in the last seven weeks. And that's really exciting, surprising the ease in which people are just placing their trust in Jesus. It's so moving to speak to them. I spoke to someone who's invited by a friend, someone whose mother invited them, uh, someone whose colleague invited them, someone who invited their boss. That's really bold. Uh, Other people who um, asked to come with their friends because their friends were coming to church. A A member of our youth themselves invited three people who'd never been to church to come to church with them. I'm like, people didn't even know I was a Christian until I was 17 years old. Member of the youth saying to three people who don't go to church, come with me. 
And then we've seen a wave of people, almost the Holy Spirit just seems to be bringing into the church to encounter Jesus. The Lord's hand steering people here. So I love hearing the stories. Um, uh, three people who came, each had had dreams. One had had a dream where in the dream they had a voice saying, you should read this bit of the Bible. They never read the Bible in their lives. They woke up. There was a Bible on their bedside, open to the words that they'd had in their dream. So they came to church and said, what's going on? Someone else who had words in the dream, and they realized it must be something to do to church, so they came along. Someone else who had a vision in a dream of an eye wreathed with angels' wings. They're like, what does that mean? Someone else had a dream, um, and they, said they, they, they found themselves outside St. Aldate, just standing there in their dream. And then someone came from inside the church to outside the church and said, you've got to come in here. You really need to come in here. So this guy woke up. And he went to the only person he knew as a Christian and said, can I come to church with you? The guy said, yes, you can. It's exciting what's happening. It's like the Holy Spirit, a wave of the Holy Spirit bringing people. And then the baptisms we had. We had all these baptisms last week. I find it so moving. The words they used. Jesus is my everything. That's what one person said. Jesus means everything to me. That's what another person said. Some of these people hadn't come to church three months ago. Uh, Jesus has shaped everything in my life. (laughs) Jesus has rocked my world. That was what one person said. Just really moving people who want to give Jesus their everything because they've experienced everything from Jesus. And then this openness. Someone on our team said that at the moment, every single student they're meeting who doesn't know Jesus, she said this, she said, they're open to me praying for them and reading the Bible with them. Every student they're meeting who doesn't yet know Jesus is saying, yeah, I'll pray with you. Yeah, I'll read the Bible with you. I find this so exciting. We've given away more Bibles as a church since the 1st of January than ever before. I'm so excited about it. This is pretty much the cheapest Bible you can buy. This is what we're giving away. It's still quite nice, but it's like, it's still the same words. Um, But it's like paperback. And I get so excited because I'll say at the end of service, I'll say, if, if, if you just started coming, you'd have a Bible, you'd like to start reading the Bible, come and say hi. And people come and say hi. And then my favorite game to play is to try and work out what would be the best gospel for them to read. So if they're a student, I say, what subject are you studying? They say English. I'll say, John's gospel, one of the greatest works of literature ever written in the history of the world. They say, oh, I'm a historian. I said, well, Matthew, the historian. They say, I'm a doctor or I'm a lawyer. I say, you want evidence? You want Luke? They say, I like action movies. I say, Mark is your guy. Um, I just love playing the game. If they're not a student, I say, tell me what sect you work in. If they're not working at the moment, I say, tell me what you like to watch on Netflix. And then from that, you can kind of triangulate what gospel they should read. It's so fun. And it's so moving chatting to them. Because I just fold over a page at the start of one of the gospels and say, you know, you can read this in about an hour and a half, two and a half hours. But you could also just read 10 minutes a day. And pray before you read. And just pray, Holy Spirit, who inspired these words to be written, would you take them and impress them on my heart? And then see what happens. So there are people right now all across the city who are reading the Bible for the very first time in their lives. That, for me, is exciting. It's really exciting. And that's happening right now. And people are encountering Jesus. Before Antioch, the apostles knew it was theologically possible that a city filled with different ethnicities and nationalities could encounter Jesus. But they probably thought in their heart of hearts it was highly unlikely. And if we're honest, 
That's the space that lots of us spend most of our lives. It's theoretically possible, theologically possible. God sovereignly can do whatever he likes. But if I invite someone to encounter Jesus, if I share my faith with them, highly unlikely they'll encounter Jesus. But when the Lord's hand is with you, it goes from being highly unlikely to a realistic possibility. That is a game changer. There's a realistic possibility that someone you invite might come to faith. That's what we're seeing at the moment. When the Lord's hand is with you, it goes from being a realistic possibility to being a probability. And that's when I personally get really excited. When people know if they invite their friend to church, if they share their faith with them, it's more likely than not that they will encounter Jesus. That is a game changer. God can use anything, anything for his purposes. The second thing we see in this passage is that God positions people for his purposes. So news of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And this almost in this passage, it's like a second wave of salvation. Barnabas is sent to support what is happening. He sees what the grace of God is doing, what the kindness of God is doing, what the gift of God is doing. And he just, he just loves to encourage. It has an impact on him. I mean, Barnabas, like all of the apostles in Jerusalem, have had a brutal few years. They've been evangelising, discipling, and then the persecution scatters all these people they've been invested in. And he comes from that context of hardship and strife and difficulty and comes into an environment where people are becoming Christians faster than they know what to do with them. And his response is, well, it says here, he was glad. <laughs> it's the most English translation it's possible <laughs> to have. When they get my order right in a coffee shop, I'm glad. <laughs> Barnabas is not glad. That's not what the Greek word means. He rejoiced. He celebrates. He overflows with joy because he's been in a difficult season in Jerusalem. He comes to Antioch and he sees... God hasn't abandoned us. God hasn't left us. God hasn't given up on his church. God is still alive. God is still sovereign. God is still moving. God is still drawing people to him. And it's happening in a miraculous, surprising way in this city. And so it's his joy to encourage them. The word parakleia means to come alongside, to speak, to strengthen, to exhort, to encourage, to cheer on, to champion cheering them on to remain faithful to the Lord with all their hearts. So all these people have come to faith and it's Barnabas' just joy and delight to say, keep going. Keep taking those steps toward Jesus. Keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. Yeah, I know you've had a bumpy season at work. Don't worry. Jesus is alive. He's with you. Yeah, don't give up. The first month is tricky. The first year is tricky. The first decade is tricky, but he is faithful. He encourages them. And cheers them on and wants them to realise what an exciting thing it is they are in the midst of, sent to encourage. And what we've realised is that God has been calling people here, drawing people here over the last couple of years and over the last few months to play a part in what Jesus wants to do here. It's not random. It's not accidental. I know what it's like. Sometimes when you move or when you transition, it feels like you fall out of the washing machine, you don't know your name. But God has positioned people for his purposes in this place. And he's also recommissioning people who've been here for decades because he's stirred our hearts. And we see what he's doing. We say, I just want to get involved. I want to do what I can. A couple of people have been emailing me over the last couple of weeks saying, I just feel called 
been here for decades, I feel called to lean in at this time to serve God's purposes in this moment. That's why I'm here, to support, to invest. And these new believers and others, Barnabas' joy is to encourage them to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, to cheer them on, to support them through the battles and blessings and life. I say to you, that's why I'd love to encourage you to get close to people. It's very easy to attend church. It's great. But you've only scratched the surface. Join a group. Join a team. Deepen the connections. Have some people who track with you. Have some people who are praying for you. I found it so encouraging last Sunday. We had baptisms, all our services. And um, after the sixth, I just saw people in the church just come alongside these people who had just made commitments to follow Jesus. People who had just decided to follow Jesus for the first time in their lives. People who have been in our church for many years just coming alongside and praying with them and encouraging them and cheering them on. Rachel Clear, who's on our, um, our kind of governing board, said to me on Monday, she said, I just have this sense of like a recommissioning. Like I want to lean into the church in this season. I feel like I need to be ready to catch those who God is bringing to faith at this time. You know, we've got amazing programs, good ground, break ground, alpha, all sorts of things going on. A million ways to plug people in. But often one of the best ways to do it is to say, come and grab a coffee with me. Come and sit with me. Come and hang with me. Come to my group. We're going out here. Why don't you come with us? Often when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, what you need most is friendship because you're exploring this whole new area of life you didn't even realize existed. Whole new language, whole new experience. And you need people alongside you who say, I'm going to do that with you. I'm going to invest in you. And when I, what I found is when that happens, um, someone else who's on our governing board said to me, he's, he's, he's on Alpha at the moment. Um, he's not doing Alpha as a guest, just to clarify. You, you know, it's quite early to be on a governing board when you're not yet a Christian. But, um, but he's helping and he said, it's exhilarating. I, I feel so energised. Because when you're connecting with people who are new to faith and just exploring faith, it helps you realise as someone who's maybe followed Jesus for 20, 30, 40 years, helps you realise, this is amazing. I've become a little bit complacent about it. Da, 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 Jesus in the... This is amazing. And you are connected with their passion. And so it overflows into you. And you kind of feel like set on fire again. You remember the love you had at first. But what's amazing is as that's happening to you, they are being discipled and mentored and supported. And so you have this connection between mature believers and new believers. It's like the enemy always wants to bifurcate. He always wants to split things in two. So people say, are you a church for young people or a church for old people? Yes. Well, are you a church that cares about evangelism or cares about discipleship? Yes. Are you a church that cares about intimacy with Jesus or a church that cares about mission? Yes. We are always going to be both. Because actually it's the simultaneous combination of these things that the Holy Spirit brings a spontaneous combustion that sets the whole church on fire for Jesus. And then what we see in this passage is that as Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, encourages people to remain faithful to Jesus Christ, what happens as he disciples them? The overflow is a great number of people were brought to the Lord. A second wave of salvation by someone encouraging. Never underestimate the impact of your encouragement to other people in this church. People need it. They need your encouragement. 
I would encourage you, if you're not close enough to other people to encourage them, get close enough. And if you don't feel like encouraging someone, come for prayer ministry at the end of the service. I will pray for you that the Lord would release in you a spirit of encouragement. Barnabas, known as the son of encouragement, the great encourager. He transformed a city through encouragement. What's discipleship in one sense? It's encouragement to follow Jesus. And then what we see is as the church is set on fire, that results in like an ecosystem in which the raising up of leaders is remarkably easy. I love this bit. This is one of my favourite bits in the Bible. Barnabas is so excited about what's happening. He goes, who can I get? I'll go and get Paul. So he rushes off to Tarsus. He goes to get Paul and he brings him. And he says, get stuck in. And for a year together, they invest in the church. And what's the response? Great numbers of people encounter Jesus. Barnabas says, who shall I go to mentor as I invest in this group of people? Let's get the guy who oversaw the murder of Stephen, which created the persecution, which kick-started this whole thing. It's crazy. His CV was terrible. He was too young. He was completely disqualified from ministry. He tried to murder people, and sometimes he'd been successful. He devoted his life to eliminating the church from the face of the earth. But God loves judo. You've got good organizational skills. You don't take no for an answer. I love the idea of Stephen up there in heaven, just laughing to himself, saying, you killed me, and your reward is you get to mentor my disciples. Brilliant. You have to invest in all the people who came to faith as a result of my execution. <laughs> and you're still going to get killed yourself. I mean, it's like, great. Just imagine the conversation. When the church is set on fire, leadership development becomes easy because there's just space for it. There's space just opened up. It's like we just need people. We need people to mentor. We need people to pray. We need people to support. We need people to encourage. And my sense at this moment, I was asking our youth pastor, and they were saying that lots of our youth right now are leading Christian unions around the city. They've been stepping into leadership roles in their student cohorts. It's just been happening without even trying. When the Lord's hand is with the church, things just start to bubble up. Leaders are forged in the church, but also in the church for the world. My sense is that in this season, the Lord is going to raise up entrepreneurs. He's going to raise up leaders in the health sector and the education sector. He's going to raise up people with a vision for how things are going to be done differently. He's going to raise up people with surprising influence in surprising places. You wouldn't have asked for it. You might not choose it. Tough. God is going to give it to you. He's going to release it to you because the Lord's hand is with you. It's an ecosystem. When the grace of God is at work, leaders are just raised up in surprising places, in surprising ways. We're going to pray for frontline workers. We're going to pray for people today. We're going to pray for people who feel called to start companies in, in, in the AI space. We're going to pray for people who are called to do research in that space. People who, who believe that God is the God of the algorithm and so want to see algorithms shaped for God's purposes. 
who can, who can turn global movements into gospel movements. So interesting, in, in, in Antioch, the first bishop of Antioch, Ignatius, John Chrysostom, one of the most famous preachers in the early church, came out of this environment. People raised up. And then the third thing we see here is that God transforms whole cities for his purpose. One of the bits of the Bible I really love, it's a little passage, you, you will have noticed it as I read it. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Little bit of a verse, hugely significant. Antioch was the perfect place for God to do something. It was highly strategic, it was known as the Rome of the East, highly connected, highly diverse. There were different cultures, different communities, different nationalities, different ethnicities. And we know from the archaeology of the city that because of the risk of clashes between the different cultures, the authorities had practiced an early form of zoning, where people are subdivided into different people groups in order to prevent them mixing. We know there are at least 18 tribal sectors based on ethnicity. You can almost track the walls. People being encouraged not to mix. There were lots of young people. There were people exploring new ideas. And in that city, in that context, a great number of people encountered Jesus. They're discipled. They're raised up as leaders. And it was the creation of a radically diverse and a radically united community. We know in Acts 13, verse 1 to 3, there were different ethnicities in the leadership, different nationalities, different socioeconomic groups. You had Simeon, who was from sub-Saharan Africa. You had Lucia, who was most likely a Libyan from North Africa. You have Menaean, who was a Palestinian, but also he was related to the aristocracy. Highly influential. You had Barnabas, who was affluent. He sold a field in order to give all the money to the apostles in Acts 4. You had Saul, who was kind of an ex-offender, a prison leaver, although he never went to prison yet. They were all leading, all in significant positions, all using their different gifts. And there was a real sense that as they were raised up as gospel leaders, the gospel broke down barriers in that city. The only place you saw that unity and focus was in the church. And God has positioned us right at the heart of this global city. There are 140 nationalities here. 35% of the people who live in Oxford were born in other nations. There are multiple ethnicities. The world is here. The nations are here. has the highest proportion of 18s to 35s in the UK. And every age range represented. Our church is a place where people from different backgrounds come together by the grace of God to worship Jesus in unity. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And as that happens, it spills over into the city, into our workplaces, into caring for the poor through our act ministry, telling people about Jesus in schools and universities and hospitals and businesses, trying to redeem culture trying to create new forms of culture to communicate with a generation that desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's almost like the city looks at these people in Antioch and they say, who are these people? Because they're unified in purpose, but they're so diverse in background. They have shared values and passions, but all the usual categories don't work because they're different ages, they're different ethnicities, different genders, different nationalities, different social statuses. What unites them is infinitely greater than what divides them. So we almost need a new word to describe them. And the word they come up with is Christians. Those of Christ. Because they follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. When the world looks at you 
and can't work out how to describe you, except for the fact you follow Jesus wholeheartedly, something really exciting is happening. When the world comes into a space like this and looks around and says, what do all these people share in common? Every element of diversity in our city is represented here. What unites you? Jesus. I, um, I grew up in a generation where we didn't really like the word Christian. We tried to avoid saying it. Um, it's one of my confessions to you. I still remember talking to a colleague once, and he said, are you a Christian? And I said, well, I wouldn't put it like that. <laughs> he said, well, what are you? I said, I'm a follower of Jesus, follower of the way. And he said, what's that? And I said, and I thought, how do I answer this without saying it's a Christian? So I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm interested in Jesus and I like to follow his teachings. And, you know, I, do you believe that he, he died? Yeah, I believe he died. Do you believe he like, because he had a re- resurrection? Do you believe that? I believe that. He said, sounds like a Christian. I said, it is like a Christian, <laughs> but it's, I, I'm interested in relationship, not in, 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 in rules. Uh, I'm interested in connection, not in, in, in religion. He said, all right. Is Christianity a religion? I said, it's source of a religion. But it's more than that as well. Poor guy, I was so confused. It was like half an hour. At the end of it, he said, Steve, I get you. I still think you're probably a Christian though. He was an atheist trying to persuade me that I could own the name Christian. And I think this is a time in our culture where we just have to own it. We just have to say, that's what I am. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to be scared of that label or shy away from it or try and deconstruct it or try and subvert it or make an ambient name with a different font. I'm just going to say, I'm a Christian. Because it's simpler. And what it means is that we're people who are primarily defined by our love of and our pursuit of Jesus Christ. Just think what could happen as this city looks at the way you live your life hears you speak out the name of Jesus as people are raised up, as those in our our children's ministry and our youth ministry are discipled, as students encounter him, as young adults and more mature adults have their faith, their hearts set on fire for Jesus, as we see a connection between different generations and different experiences of faith and different lengths of time following Jesus and it becomes a spontaneous combustion where almost it's harder for people not to become Christians than it is to become Christians. It's more likely than not but when you share your faith, because the Lord's hand is with you, because the grace of God is at work, people fall into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Think what could happen as leaders are raised up in this time that shape the destiny of nations and companies and organizations and sectors. The Lord's hand is with us. The grace of God is at work. I encourage you, don't miss out. Let's stand and we're going to pray.